I've talked about this before, but I'm not, I'm not really sure what it is about helping professionals, but it seems like we are always willing to accept less. <laughs> I don't know why that's the case. I, it seems to be like a trait amongst helpers, not all helpers, but I think the majority of helpers that we just assume that if we are in a job that we don't like, or if we are doing something that isn't a great fit for who we are as individuals, that we just need to keep doing it and that there's no other recourse. It's like this weird self-flagellation thing that seems to be rampant amongst us. <laughs> I don't know why it is. And I feel like Sure, this happens in other professions too, but probably if someone were to do a study between like business majors and social workers, there would just be this huge disparity in terms of the bullshit that we're willing to put up with as people. I don't know what that's about. I do know um, that one of the reasons I started this podcast was so I could showcase people that are doing that differently. Because when we hear the stories of people that are doing it differently, I think for us, certainly for me, it feels like giving myself permission a little bit to think about what it would mean to do this work differently. Um, because somebody else has gone ahead and actually done it. So then it's real and it feels more okay. And that's what I feel like Vicki Stith did. about Vicky is as you'll listen to her story she started she didn't put up with anything right from the beginning like somehow she doesn't fit into the helping pool where we just you know torture ourselves for 15 or 20 years before we maybe start to consider doing something else she started right from the beginning saying hey this isn't a good fit for me let me think about what my other options are that's radical uh, you don't see that a lot. And that's why I think her story is um, different and interesting and important. So I hope you enjoy listening to Vicki Stiff. So this week I have uh, Vicki Stith with me. Vicki, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. You're welcome. Yeah. No, I'm super excited to have you here. Um, so tell us a little bit just to get started. Can you tell us a little bit about um, who you are as a helper? Who, who have you been in the helping professions and what has that looked like for you over time? Okay. So, um, and do you mean as a counselor, therapist? When did that all start? Yeah. So all of the things, anything related to, you know, what your life has looked like as a helper, what your work has been like in terms of helping other people. Okay. Um, yeah, it's interesting, right? When I think back um, over the course of my lifetime, I kind of feel like I've always been 
I've always been drawn to helping and teaching. So I, I didn't, I came to being a therapist later in life. It's like a second career. However, when I look back at my, you know, childhood, I was, I remember helping a little boy, you know, not write his fives backwards in kindergarten class and mm-hmm. <laughs> teaching a good friend how to, you know, interpret old English and Shakespeare. And, right. and, um, and then I taught French to third and fourth graders when I was in high school, actually in a organized classroom. Um, and then, so I think I've always been drawn to it. Like I like to share what I have to share and, but then I got into college. I didn't know what to major in. Um, I had this weird idea. I learned it somehow. I'm not sure exactly how, but I learned that a career should be kind of serious and challenging and difficult and maybe grim even. <laughs> so I actually majored in economics. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I liked that because I got to use like the analytical part of my brain. Yeah. Um, so, and when I think back, I think I, I remember taking psychology courses and I thought this makes, this is complete common sense. Why would I study this? Like I can read this on my own. <laughs> Um, and so I, I didn't pursue that. Um, and so, yeah, I went into economics, um, by the end of, you know, my senior year, I really wanted to major in journalism instead, but I thought, no, I'm graduating. Like I'm finished with school. So flash forward, um, had two kids later, um, oh, I also studied accounting for a while, went back to school for accounting later, but then... Yeah. And actually, when I was about to, uh, I was studying for my CPA exam, and I literally just started having panic attacks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I thought, well, this isn't the time to do this. I need to kind of take a break. I don't feel like being a CPA anymore um, after going to school for three years for it. And I think it's interesting because with school, I love school. Like I love learning. Um, my, you know, I think I'll be, you know, learning something all my life, something new, you know, we all are, will be probably, but I really liked school. And so I loved school for accounting. Right. Um, but when it came to actually taking the test, studying, becoming an accountant, I thought, uh, no, I don't want to do that. Mm. <laughs> so I really did. I started having panic attacks. And then um, I, you know, read some books, went to a therapist for that, and figured out how to overcome panic attacks. Um, and then I just, I just decided, you know, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to take a break, stay home with my kids. And I started working part-time, doing different things, and eventually just learning more and more about anxiety in myself. And then when I saw it in my own kids, I, that's when I st- decided to go back to grad school. Um, and actually before that I went to, I actually um, was admitted to three different grad school programs, one in like masters of liberal arts, one in being, um, having a master's in writing and then one in, being a reading specialist because I taught my kids to read. And I thought, oh, I can do that. Maybe I'll do, do this. Right. Uh, well, I went to grad school for each of those for 
I don't know, a week. And I was like, no, this doesn't fit. No, not doing this. (laughs) Um, So when I went back to school for um, being a counselor, um, I really kind of didn't trust myself. I thought, okay, we'll see how I'll take one class and just see how it goes. Because I had chosen so many different things, uh, you know, in my school career that I really thought, I'm not sure. I just don't know what I want to do. So um, I thought I'm going to be careful this time and I'll just take a class, see how it is. So I signed up for career counseling because that was a requirement, right, for, for grad school. And I thought, perfect, right? It'll kind of confirm what I'm deciding here or might change my mind. Right. So I did that and I just, I loved it. I ate it up. Um, and just one course after the other, I, I, and, and then I actually enrolled. I actually just took a couple of courses just to decide because really I didn't trust myself because I so loved school that I thought I could love almost anything in school. Um, but then I just ate it up. I loved it and, you know, haven't looked back. Wow. No, I totally relate to that as far as school is concerned. There's just so many things, you know, especially within the field of psychology. And and there's so many areas where you're like wanting to know more. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free. Yes. So as far as after school, um, so you went, you kind of decided to dedicate yourself to taking a look more at, at the helping professions as opposed to, um, you know, economics or, or the things, accounting that you had been looking at because they weren't feeling, it sounds like, right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so then how, do, how did you pursue work? What did your work life look like? Okay. Do you mean after school? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I wanted to help people with anxiety and like panic disorder because I'd experienced those things myself and they're throughout my family, you know, here and there. And so that's why I initially went, I I thought, okay, I'm going to help this population. Right. And so when I first got out with my, what is it? The graduate license, not the full license, Um, Mm -hmm. I was looking for a position and found it more more difficult than I thought. Um, I think graduate schools, I don't know how things are now. I mean, this was a while ago. Um, But back then, they didn't really prepare you. My place didn't either. And and, uh, even, but my, I really did like my graduate school. I thought, you know, I learned a lot. It was pretty intense, whatever. I had a great time. Um, but I didn't know what the world of work as a therapist would look like um, when I got out. So I started looking for things I wanted. So I wanted to work at a place called um, Anxiety and Stress Disorder Institute near me, but they wanted me to have more general experience first. And then other places, uh, there was another place, you know, a few places I called, they wanted you to have full licensure. Um, right. So, yeah, so it was that kind of thing where how do you get more experience when they require more experience? So, um, so I did end up taking my, my first, I think my first job, well, I was working as an intern at a private practice. I was lucky enough to have an internship with a private practitioner and she was great. Um, and I, I continued there for a little bit, basically on a volunteer basis. Um, 
But then my first paid job um, was about an hour away from me. And it was working, going to people's homes because I... Mine too. Is that right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably an early position for a lot of um, helpers. (laughs) So because it is hard to get something without a full license and, um, you know, they want you to have more experience. So I started doing that and... um, it was, I had to, you know, get up really early in the morning. I had to commute for about an hour each way. Mm-hmm. And I had to go into people's homes. And it was just nothing that I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with mostly kids. Um, and I was on like a, I think I was doing like a two week trial period, training period. And then I would start seeing the clients on my own. Um, and literally I lasted like two days. <laughs> I was like, no, no, can't do it. You got out early. That's good. <laughs> I was miserable. I was miserable. The commute was brutal. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't anything what I wanted things to look like. And it was just stressful. I was exhausted when I came home. This was after two times. I was exhausted. I, oh gosh, I would get home at like 7 p.m. and just, just be fatigued, not want to do anything, in a bad mood. And again, I really do believe that it, I, I went there twice. It might have been for a week or two. I can't, I honestly can't remember, but it was a very short time period. Um, so I just said, yeah, no, I can't do it. Um, not for me. So I stopped. And and then I thought, you know, I was in that place where I thought, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm never going to find anything, you know. Um, and so that's when I think, is that true? Yeah, I think I, I called the Anxiety and Stress Disorder Institute again. Mm-hmm. Um let me think. Yeah. And so I basically called them up, sent them my resume, um, was pretty persistent. And they said, okay, come on in for, <laughs> for an interview. Great. And yeah. And, um, and so I went there and they did hire me. I was an intern. So again, I was working for, you know, very low fees. Um, but I worked there for about a year and that was a great experience. Um, because I was exposed to some really great mentors. I learned a lot. These people were on the you know, cutting edge of all the research. Um, and that was really great. So yeah, so I did that for a year. Awesome. And then mm-hmm. what, did your, what did your career trajectory take off from, from there? How did you get from where, like, where are you now with working and how did you get to that place? Yeah, so... Um, After a year, I thought, okay, this isn't sustainable because I'm not really getting paid. Sure. You know, sometimes I would get $5 a session. Um, And I thought, you know, I have to continue to pay my bills. (laughs) So I really do need to actually make some money here. Um, And yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I, when I majored in economics and then accounting, it's funny because years later when I told my parents that I was going into, 
you know, psychology and wanting to be a therapist, huh, my father said, well, I told your mother when you were majoring in economics, the first thing I said to her was when you told me that is, why is she majoring in economics? She doesn't care the first thing about money. (laughs) 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 And and it was true. Like I really, I, I'm not driven by it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and really all economics is, is, well, I shouldn't say that for people who are, are really economists, but for me, it was a lot of graphs and just anal- analytics. But, um, so I, I did switch gears. I went to a group practice called the resource group. And so I worked in a, a group practice. And at that point, I really did want to kind of expand and try different things, work with different populations. And that was great because I really was able to do that. Uh, and I still only had my graduate license, but they changed the rule because I actually applied to them before. Um, and then I think the, the director and owner, I think he reached out to me and said, hey, we've changed the rules. We're going to start supervising like LGs. So um, I went there and that was great because I got to try a lot of different things. Um, I started, that's when I I developed and ran like a mindful eating group. I Mm -hmm. started seeing people with substance use disorders. I still, I was still interested in anxiety disorders, um, OCD. I wanted to specialize in those, but I really wanted to kind of get a lot of general knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that was great because that enabled me to do that. And I was there two years. Um, But then I was kind of thinking, um, you know, I'm, I kind of want to branch out on my own. I'm doing, you know, I'm specializing. I decided I'm really going to specialize in OCD and anxiety disorders. I was kind of doing different things than a lot of people there where, um, exposure therapy really wasn't their forte. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so I just decided to do it on my own because I was, you know, making 50% of what I would have made on my own. Right. Yeah. And no one really had a clue as to what I was doing. You know, I was in my own office doing my own thing, Mm -hmm. you know, so it felt like private practice, but it was under this roof of a a group practice. And then they, no, I think they took, they took 40%. I was making 60%. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I left. I, yeah. So you left and then went into work, uh, private practice right from that? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You, okay. So you figured this out so much more quickly than anyone else I have been talking to yet. Honestly, like just hearing it. So, so you and I started in the same kind of space doing the same thing, only it took me 20 years. <laughs> and it sounds like it took you like less than five. Yeah, I was there really three because I was at ASD, which is the Anxiety and Stress Disorder Institute. I was there for a year. Oh, that and that overlapped with resource group a little bit. I was there for two years. Now I so it was like about three years. Now I will say also that I I went to a place I worked at an eating disorder place too. Mm. But again, it literally it was for two days. It was okay. okay. <laughs> because I went there and there the way they did things with clients, I just didn't agree with. Yes. Um, and I was like, I'm not going to be the food cop. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, thanks. Yeah. I don't, I can't, I think my strength and maybe, maybe a weakness, I don't know, um, is that I, I really 
don't, I can't do things that I really don't believe in. Yes. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. I love this. So for like younger people in the field listening to this, please take a tip from Vicky because really this is what happens to so many of us is that we will go and start working for some, uh, you know, a space and it doesn't feel like an exact fit, but it's okay. Or like, you know, there are things with it that we know are wrong, but we're new to the field. So we don't want to, you know, we don't feel like we have the right to leave or, you know, mm-hmm. we, you know, and so we stay and end up wasting all this time and energy. I love this. It's like, you're like, okay, two days. I know this isn't working. I'm going to get out and go find the thing that's right. Um, I wish that more people felt the, the freedom to do that, to make that kind of choice. And, you know, I think that's really what I'm about as a therapist, Mm -hmm. is what you just said, is helping people find the freedom to be happy and to live the way they want to live, right? To be true to themselves. Um, And I, I think, yeah, I think not to get wrapped up in this kind of who you have to be as a therapist or what you have to do, you know, right. um, there's so many have tos and most of them are just, yeah, not true. Fabricated. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm really about being happy, you know, like you asked what my personal mission was mm-hmm. <laughs> and really it comes down to, I really want to be happy. I want to create the causes for happiness in my own life and help others do the same. Yes. Um, so, and I'm, I'm pretty, like, I I really want to be true to myself. And I think that, yeah, I'm not the kind of person who's going to remain stuck and miserable in a place that, yeah, if I can, if I feel miserable, I'm going to change it pretty soon. Yeah, two days. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's a record of some kind. No, I love that. So that's like, that's the takeaway. Everyone can just say, there it is. Is that a kind of, if you know something isn't feeling right and you, you know, go make the change. Don't, don't sit in it. Even if you're young, even if you don't have your, your, Mm -hmm. you know, LICSW or your total license or whatever, you know, all of those things. That's great. That's great. So that, so you're um, also in the middle of this, it sounds like you, you knew that you had a great passion and a personal experience with anxiety, um, with working with mindfulness. I know you're very interested in Buddhism, Mm -hmm. um, just individually as a person. So how were you connecting those themes to what you were doing with your professional life? Yeah, good question. Um, So I really feel like, well, I came to mindfulness about 25 years ago when I was going through these panic attacks and things. And I was um, reading John Kabat-Zinn, you know, Mm -hmm. in Full Catastrophe Living and all that. And and so I was applying mindfulness really because I, again, was kind of suffering. And I thought, okay, I need to figure this out. Um, So... But then, you know, I went back to graduate school and I was, you know, absorbed in other things. But I did start a meditation practice then, too. So I've been meditating for mm, pretty much exactly 25 years consistently. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So so I think that probably helps. Right. That probably helped me to not stay stuck in those places um, when I wasn't happy. Um, even though there was the fear of 
oh, well, are you ever going to be able to get a job then? Or, um, you know, whatever, are you going to be able to do a private practice, all this stuff? Um, and I think that's the thing, right? People, we list, we have so many messages from society and friends and, um, how we have to do things and our own anxieties and fears and everything like that. And, and so I think mindfulness and meditation have been the way for me to really become familiar with myself and my own mind, right? It really is, really meditation is a, is a compassion practice, right? So Mm -hmm. it's about learning to grow your capacity to hold whatever comes up um, and touch everything, right? Mindfulness really is about touching things, your experiences, um, and not, you know, running from it. So I think for me, that's the most important thing is to really get to know yourself and to, you know, navigate through your activities in life and then just see what comes up. And then you want to touch it with mindfulness. Mm. And that's how you know how you feel about things, right? It's not in your head. Um, Our heads are going to mess things up, right? We all want to be happy and we all screw it up, right? Right? So we all want to be happy. That's kind of our innate compassion, right? Right. Um, But then a lot of times we don't know how. Um, And I think that's, again, as a therapist, I, you know, I want to, help, if I can, help others to create their own causes for happiness, right? Because a lot of us don't know how, you know, we're all, all humans want to be happy. You know, how tragic we all screw it up. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what has that looked like, that pursuit of happiness then? So we've we've gotten to the place where now you are entering private practice earlier than anyone I know (laughs) Um, in pursuit of your own fulfillment and happiness and and being aligned with, it sounds like, what you know you really want to do. How have you then applied that? What has that looked like in terms of how you are... um, doing your work and what kind of work you're doing? Are you still doing therapy with people around um, anxiety and OCD and, and mindfulness? Or like, what what does your work life look like right now? Yeah. Um, so when I established my private practice, um, I went right into specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders mm-hmm. and really dedicating my whole practice to those things. Um, and so, and, and also let me just say that for, for me, private practice was, it was much easier than I thought it would be. Um, I had some good friends to help me, you know, kind of set things up and, you know, I did take insurance. I still do. Um, we'll see how that goes <laughs> transition out of that. I'm not, I've, I'm not saying anything. On the yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I've dropped, I've dropped a couple along the way, but, um, but I, it was easier than I thought it would be. Um, and I had to start saying no to a lot of people because mm-hmm. a lot of people, so OCD and anxiety specialists a lot of times don't take insurance. So I was one of the few. Um, so I was, I never had a problem, you know, getting clients. Sure. It was more saying no. And I think that's, that was the thing, right? So again, it's, um, you're always going to be, I guess, tripping yourself up right on this road to kind of happiness, freedom, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I started seeing about 
20 clients a week, you know, 18 to 20. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, it was very hard to say no to people, you know, because I do like to help. And, and I think, you know, we as helpers, we really do, um, we really do love to help people. You know, it feels rewarding. I, I don't like to say no. I'm a people pleaser at heart. You know, I really am. Um, but I'm also really good at kind of looking out for number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I did get into that place where um, I was seeing a lot of clients really exhausted at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then, you know, I think I started seeing stuff online, you know, about people doing online work. Um, And I guess, I don't even know how I really got to the point. It was maybe just two years ago where I really started looking at different options for just one-on-one clients because I I started feeling like, okay, there's, um, you know, I'm, going to only be getting older, you know, if I'm lucky and, and I'm not going to want to continue to see clients all day. Um, I don't know if it's, I, I still see people with anxiety disorders and I really love them. Um, and people with OCD, although I don't do a lot of work with physical, um, compulsions anymore. So I don't do a lot of, um, ERP with, yeah, the kind of physical exposures, but I do a lot of like work with, um, kind of what they call pure O, right. Um, OCD, which isn't really pure O, but whatever. And so I, I forgot what I was saying. (laughs) Um, what was I saying? Um, I'm not sure, but I think I just started getting overwhelmed with clients. Oh, I know. So I just kind of started seeing that I don't want to be working every day of the week. Um, I was already taking either Fridays or Mondays off, um, depending on time, but I just decided I don't want to keep working in an office indefinitely, you know, seeing one-on-one clients. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeing stuff online where people are doing more online work. Oh, the other thing is that was going on was I've always had this, um, like wanderlust. I've always wanted to travel. Um, I've, you know, taken vacations, things like that. Um, but I've always wanted to do more traveling overseas. I want to move to Europe. I, you know, so this was always, this was kind of in the background and this is when online therapy was starting, you know, really when I started hearing about it. So, um, when I was in my private practice, probably the third year in private practice. So probably for about two and a half to three years now ago, I had some clients who had to kind of, um, be at home for different reasons. And I thought, okay, let's try online therapy, right? I've been wanting to do it. Let's, let's try it. And, and then it just kind of snowballed from there little by little. Um, in the past, probably year and a half, I was about 85% online and loving it. And my plans were, you know, Oh, this is, this is awesome. I'm taking this on the road. <laughs> I'm going to be able to travel. Um, this is great, you know, cause I wanted to travel. Um, and, and it's when I went to, I went for a trip about a year and a half ago, I went to Portugal only for like three weeks, but I was able to do my therapy, you know, from Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. So I thought, excellent. 
this is what I'm doing. So I decided I'm going to move to France. Um, and, and I was going to move to France this past September, um, August or September. Um, I was going to start getting my house ready in you know, March or April of 2020, rent it and, and leave, um, for at least a year. And of course, then we all know what happened, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. The, the pandemic came and that was, that plan was gone. Um, but that was the plan, you know, and so that's still my plan to, Yay, I'm so yeah, sad that's still your plan. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know when, you know, mm-hmm. um, but that's what I want to do. I want to take it all on the road. And so I started looking into more things online and I started seeing, um, you know, different options for working online and then coaching. Right. Yeah. So, and that's when I really start about two years ago, I, started going online to learn about how to do different programs online. Um, and to, because I don't want to work with the one-on-one only, um, yeah, format. So that's when I started, um, that's when I really became interested about two and a half years ago with my, um, current group, which is, so I'm helping right now parents who have adult children, with substance use disorders. So, um, so parents who's addicted adult children, um, Mm -hmm. need help. And I mean, the parents themselves need help. And, and so, and I got interested in that just because, you know, I've had family members of my own with addiction. Um, I've been to like Naranon and Al-Anon. Um, and I saw that, you know, parents were really suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I just felt like I could help them, you know, because I had my own experience and I saw a gap in that these Naranon, Al-Anon programs, peer, you know, support groups were great. Um, you know, I, I think they're awesome. I love them myself and they don't really teach kind of, um, results based practices. Mm. Um, so I thought, okay, there's a gap here. And, and, and so I really wanted to help the parents out because, and so now that's what I'm doing. I still am seeing clients, um, in my private practice as a therapist, but now I'm also a parent coach, right? Because most of these parents aren't, I'm not treating mental disorders for them. Um, it's not, you know, you're not, you don't have a mental disorder if your child has addiction. Um, so, a lot of these parents need coaching. And, um, so what I do is I, I use like the evidence-based stuff that I've learned as a therapist and then also just applied my own personal experience and, and help them, you know, figure out what helps and what doesn't. Right. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe weird obscure and possibly unsafe available anywhere you get your podcasts hey. Hey.
Okay, so let me set this scene for you. I was 35 years old, working at a residential program 50 plus hours a week, making less than $50,000 a year on public service loan forgiveness with nine years to go, two graduate degrees to pay for that totaled $101,000. I watched my interest accrue as I made minimum payments until my balance hit $121,000. I felt terrified, anxious, unwell, and I was sure that I couldn't stick it out to have my loans forgiven without having a mental breakdown. Do you relate to this story at all? Then I have a program for you. So I have a four week group intensive program rolling out in January 2021 that will identify your stuck points and create an individualized plan for you to get out of student debt so you can be financially free. You'll work with me and a small group of like-minded individuals to follow the process that I did to pay off all my debts in a few years while increasing my income and cultivating a more satisfying career and lifestyle. Do you wanna learn more? Visit my website at danabelletier.com and check out the Help Yourself Group Intensive. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. You know, what I love about this is for, so you speak to the experience of having anxiety and panic, and I can Mm -hmm. fully relate to that as a human also. Um, but you have like a lot of balls too, because, (laughs) because you, I, it's like you identify things that that would work for you. Like I want to live internationally. I want to work four days a week. I want to Mm -hmm. supplement, um, coaching in my work so that I don't have to be one-to-one all the time, all these things. And then you just pursue them and like make them happen you know, except for France, but I'm sure we'll get there. Um, (laughs) Yes. But that is so, you know, I think for so many of us, we, I either don't give ourselves permission to think about the things that we actually want and need because there's this idea that the life of a helper um, is supposed to look a certain way and it's generally yeah. sacrificial. So we mm, don't mm-hmm. um, we don't give ourselves permission to dream. But for those of us that do even deign to deign to dream, um, mm-hmm. a lot of those things would just be dismissed as like, well, that's that's not a thing I can do. So I'm you know I'm just not even going to think about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's, I'm, yeah, I think that's a really important point to pay attention to. And I'm glad you said that because it's true, right? But it's also true that to the degree that we can really get familiar with our own mind, our own bodies and take care of them Mm -hmm. and really get to know our own suffering and what frees us from that suffering and, and, you know, making ourselves, you know, closer to happy or whatever you want to call it to that degree, we're going to be able to help others. Right. So, you know, there's a quote by, I think it's Thich Nhat you know, the Zen master. And he says something, I'm paraphrasing loosely, but basically he says, until we can really take care of our own minds and bodies, there's no use to even, even talking about helping other people, mm. you know? And it's so true, right? Because again, like mindfulness, I come back to mindfulness, right? Because it's the path I'm on, but it's really about getting familiar with yourself and developing a relationship with your own mind so that you're not met with all these obstacles and then they stop you, right? Mm -hmm. So you can see them for what they are and to really get to know yourself and listen deeply, right? That's compassion, you know, to, to 
really listen to yourself and pay attention to how your body feels when you do this. How does it feel when you do that? Um, and to pay attention to it and be kind to it and respond to it. You know, if, if we can respond to our own lives, our own bodies and see our own suffering and get really familiar with it and what makes us happy, we're just automatically going to be able to help others do that too. It's, there's no effort involved. It's going to arise naturally. Mm. Um, and, and, but without it, you you can't, right. You can't share what you, you don't have to share. Right. Um, right. and so I think it's, yeah, it's a really important point because so much of the time we want to help, we want to help. Um, well, do you know how to have peace in your own life? Mm-hmm. You know, do you understand your own mind? Um, and it's a work in progress. We're all going to again, we're tripping over, we're going to trip over ourselves. We're going to do the same things over and over again until we really get it. Right. 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 (laughs) Um, We have to know our own propensities. You know, that's what I'm working with now is my own propensities. You know, what are the things that usually trip me up? You know? Yeah. Yeah. This should, I mean, this really should be a required course in undergrad and graduate school for people that are pursuing this kind of work mm. is for is to just consider these kinds of things and how you need to prepare yourself um, in order to do this in a way that is actually um, rather than stealing yourself to it, yeah. um, you know, making yourself pliable to what your own wants and needs are and getting in touch with yourself so that you you are able to do this in a sustainable way for a long time. Um, yeah. I think the common thread that's taught to us is that we are, um, you know, we're, we're just supposed to like be um, as uh, steely as possible and just yeah. kind of um, try to <laughs> try right. to deal with it as, a, you know, like the kinds of jobs that you do when you're when you're a young professional it's the really, really hard stuff. It's exposure to the stuff mm-hmm. that like the, the stuff that nobody else wants to do. That's really, really difficult with this idea that you're going to pay your dues so you can like, you know, get your calluses so you can be ready to be right. in the field. And it's like, this is an entirely, what you're talking about is an entirely different approach where you're, you're coming from, we're going to prepare you to do this by starting with self-compassion. Mm-hmm. It's totally mm-hmm. different. Yeah, I um, agree. And I think that if people, if young helpers were prepared from that lens of self-compassion, you'd then be setting people up to stay in the field for the entire duration of their careers instead of burning out 10 years in, you know, 20 years in if you're lucky because you've just, you can't, you can't deal with it anymore. It's a totally right. different thing. It is. And I agree. I think there needs to be some placement in the curriculum for this. Yeah, no, I think you should you should start <laughs> in addition to all the That's other things you're doing. That's my next thing. <laughs> send this out to all of the like big name universities and be like, here's the thing we think needs to be added. Really, it's you know, it's so funny because when I when I graduated, I don't know exactly when you graduated, but it's when mindfulness just started. It got like two pages in a in a textbook, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And um, compassion, no one was talking about that, self-compassion. Um, and I remember even people, like I would do all my presentations on mindfulness, you know, so because I was so into it. And I remember just people literally saying like, oh, I don't buy that. I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And 
you know, it's just so funny, right? It's so simple. We don't trust it. Um, (laughs) You know, but it's, it's really right. The key to everything, you know, is becoming really intimate with yourself. So if we're, and I'm thinking specifically of the young professionals that listen to this, right? The people that are still relatively new to the field that are maybe going in and starting that hard work and being exposed to those messages of you need to pay your dues and it's supposed to be hard and you're supposed to be working a million hours and not getting paid anything and all of that. How would you, what advice would you give? I don't know what happened. Oh, okay. Well, you're back. That's good. (laughs) Okay, okay, I just clicked again, start. And, no, okay, so, so yes. Yeah. I'll ask the question again. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. For, for the young people that are new, you know, relatively new to the field, that are already getting burnt out, that are already getting exposed to these messages of do more, make less, you know, this is supposed to be hard, hard for hard sake, all of those things, and, and they aren't you know, they aren't being exposed to this message of that you're free to dream and you need to start with self-care and all of those things. So for those listeners, (laughs) what would you say to them? What is the greatest piece of advice that you would give to them to enter into the career in a way that, um, that you think would be, would be most fulfilling for them? Hmm. That's a, tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say to, you know, treat it all as an experiment. Um, you got to find out for yourself, right? You can't listen to anybody else and be told what you're, what you need to do. Right. Um, every, I, I really trust that people can find their own way through their lives and they might need some guidance sometimes, and that's fine. But it's really, we all have this inner wisdom. And so I think it's about learning to cultivate your listening to yourself, you know, realizing who you are, um, and not instead deciding ahead of time what kind of helper you're supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? What you should do. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that. it's. Yeah, I, I think it's really about learning to listen to yourself um, and listen deeply. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for that, you need to develop, an, again, an intimate relationship with yourself that's not about all the thinking about it. Right. It's about really moving through life and then seeing what arises and then really being compassionate to whatever arises. Um, and it you you know, it's over time you reveal yourself to yourself. Um, and I think that's the most important thing, right? Do you, do you have recommendations for people in terms of where to get started with that or what they should be looking at or reading or, you know, getting in touch with since these resources are not made readily available (laughs) to young professionals? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, well, I think there are probably different ways to be on, you know, the path of getting to know yourself and listening to yourself. You know, for me, it's, it's studying Buddhism and practicing mindfulness and meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't ever want to kind of push any one thing. Um, 
But for me, it's, it's meditation. It's having a relationship with yourself. It's, it's not about calming yourself or clearing your mind or making yourself feel better or whatever. It's about really getting to know yourself Mm -hmm. and people probably can do that in different ways. I just don't know of those, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like getting out in nature. Right. I mean, of course that can also be a way to be mindful, but, um, so I, I don't know. I think it's, um, I mean, I've probably read a hundred books on Buddhism and mindfulness, but <laughs> I don't think that's what we're asking or you're wanting me to tell you. Um, I think it's about trusting yourself mm-hmm. um, and just kind of knowing that you have, we have an innate wisdom. We have innate compassion. We have a peacefulness inside of us that we just need to access. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if we don't develop that relationship with those things, people are going to be able to, um, direct us in another way. Mm, yeah. You know? Right. Right. No, that's great. I think that's so, so valuable. That's so valuable. And I love, you know, again, you are a living example of someone who took a trajectory of doing a job for two days, knowing it wasn't. <laughs> but that's so, you know, because I think a lot of people would feel bad about that and shame themselves about it. And uh, I, you know, working with uh, teenagers, I worked with teenagers for a super long time. Mm. And parents were always like hammering into them, like you start a thing and you finish a thing, even if they started something and knew it was like, not a healthy space for them or not a thing that they wanted to be doing or there's this like really strong value system of you finish what you start and you make a commitment and you follow through with it even if it sucks and you know it's not right for you I think Um, that's such a good point and I think that's true I think and I think again right that comes back to right getting to know yourself mm -hmm. and allowing yourself to get to know yourself and experiment and so maybe the commitment is I'll do this until I it doesn't work for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of, Oh, I have to do this for whatever. I mean, I think there is value in, okay, I'm signing up for this, I don't know, athletic team and I'll do it for a semester. And then maybe we stick to plan if there's no harm, but if it's harmful to us. Um, so I think it's always useful to think about what's the benefit and what's the harm, right. you know, and not make assumptions. And again, that's where it comes in. It, to play this whole thing of let's not decide ahead of time who we're going to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yay. I love, that's great. That's perfect. That'd be the title of this episode. Um, Cool. (laughs) So, okay. So if people are interested in um, kind of getting familiar with your work, like you mentioned right now, you are working with clients, but you're also doing this um, coaching piece with parents and, Mm -hmm. and all of that. Where can people find you and your work? Where would they go to find that? Yeah, so I'll give you the the parents information because that's kind of my my big thing right now. Um, my mission to help parents. Um, so I guess, well, there's a few other pl- there's a few different places, and I guess I'll j- I'll give you those links. Mm-hmm. But um, so one is just my Facebook group for parents, which is parents of addicted adult children. Um, pretty easy to find. And there are multiple ones of those. So you just have to look for that specific one and, and, and me, right. My name will be somewhere on it. Um, and then I have this thing called the, 
the Zen community, which, yeah, I didn't talk about, but it's, um, you know, because of course I study Zen Buddhism and I bring that in with mindfulness, but it's for parents. Um, it's a community. It's actually like a monthly membership where parents come in and I teach them lessons mm-hmm. um, about, you know, again, kind of the causes for suffering that <laughs> tend to happen with this with this situation um, when they have adult children with addiction. So I teach them about that. We do online group meetings and that is like, should I tell you the bit.ly link? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Um, Of course, I don't know it. I'm looking it up. (laughs) I'm looking it up right now. So you might have to edit. Uh, Okay. So it's bit.ly slash the Zen community. Mm, okay. Um, and then my, you can sign up for my email, um, email list and get, um, there's a little mini course on mindful boundaries and for parents. And, um, that is again, bit bit.ly slash mindful boundaries. Excellent. So nice. Yeah. You have a lot of, you have a lot of things, a lot of things to offer. That's very cool. Yeah, it's going in that direction, but trying to rein it in also. It's, again, it's <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, what I can do while keeping a peaceful mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Dana. Yeah. It was really fun to talk to you. That was great. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. So if you want to find Vicky, there's a few different places to find her. You can find her Facebook group, Parents of Addicted Adult Children. You can also find her monthly membership, The Zen Community. That's at bit.ly slash The Zen Community. Or you can sign up for her email list. She's got a free mini course there. Um, And that is at bit.ly slash Mindful Boundaries. For more from me, you can check out danabellatier.com. That tells you a little bit about some of the work that I'm doing, helping other therapists and helping professionals get out of debt. And you can also find us at um, on Instagram at the Help for the Helpers podcast. So that's our show today. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next week. like spooky movies hair raising tales insightful criticism judgmental hot takes then you're gonna love horror business the horror podcast on the cinepunks podcast network dedicated to all things weird and spooky my name is leo don and i'm justin lore and every episode we're gonna tear apart your favorite and not so favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great whether it's the beyond prince of darkness or inseminoid we dive in on a double feature every episode and then we talk about it some of our insights are great and sometimes we just complain so if we have to suffer through it so do you horror business available anywhere you find fine podcast products